1: Welcome to the 145th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, managed cybersecurity, and managed information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia.
0: And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is, it's a good time for cybersecurity checkup. Our guest is attorney David G. Reese, who is of counsel in the Pittsburgh, PA office of Clark Hill, plc, where he practices in the firm's cybersecurity, data protection, and privacy group. He has devoted his legal career to helping organizations traverse complex environmental, technology, and data protection challenges. For over 25 years, he has increasingly focused on technology, cybersecurity, and privacy.
2: As usual, it's great to have you back with us, Dave. Well, I'm glad to be here. Always enjoy working with both of you.
1: Well, let's get started and tell us, Dave, why is it a good time for a cybersecurity checkup? Well, it's the new year, and
2: I would like to use that as a flag. As we know, effective security is a continuing process to protect technology every day all year long. It's not just set it and forget it. So it's important to devote continuing attention every day, but periodically to step back and take a look and make sure that everything's being done correctly. You know, for large firms, that's more of an ongoing process. And even for them, it's good once a year or or more frequently to step back and and say, are we doing things the right way? For a small firm, sometimes we'll only do it once a year. And in the new year's uh, good time to do that. And there are a number of things they should look at, which I'll explain as we go on. That's a great segue, Dave. So can you talk a little bit about this
0: whole checkup and, and what should be included in that for any law firm or a business? Yes.
2: Yeah, so well, I, I think there are you know four things to look at. And again, they should be looking at security on an ongoing basis. But the first question for a checkup is, have there been any security issues or security incidents during the past year? And if there have been, are we adequately addressing? I mean, that, that's within the firm. That's not, you know, generally worldwide. Number two, have we added any technology during the past year? And if we have, are we using it securely? Third, what are the current threats? What, what are the threats to us and to everyone else? Things like phishing, business email compromise, ransomware. Are we effectively addressing them on a day-to-day basis as we use our technology? And finally, are there new safeguards available? Things like, you know, zero trust and extended detection or response. If there are new ones available, is it time for us to look at them or move to them? So, you know, those are the the four questions for a checkup that should be done a minimum of one year and in the larger firm more often.
1: Well, when you go to do this setup, what sources of security information would you suggest for our listeners for having a checkup? Well, for
2: the checkup, there there are two different areas. And I'll be going into a little more detail on information sources in a later question. But first, there's inside firm information. So, have we had security issues and have we changed our tech? Those are going to come from either the firm's IT person, its outside consultant, or both of them together. Then there's the general cybersecurity information from the outside. You know, what are the current and emerging threats and what are today's available safeguards? Are there new ones that we should look at? Those come from internal and IT as well as from legal, government, and tech industry sources. And, you know, those I'll talk about in a later question. Do you have any
0: specific recommendations of information sources?
2: Yes, I do. There's a lot of them, and... I want to qualify that was you know you can spend a lot of time every day looking at them like you Sharon and I do uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. because you know th- th- this is you know part of what we do for work, <laughs> but but there are legal sources, government sources, and, and tech industry sources. As far as legal, there are blogs like Sharon's Ride the Lightning and your your IT consultant. There's ABA news emails from the ABA Journal and other ABA groups. There's podcasts like this one and other Legal Talk Network ones. The Law Practice Division has the Legal Technology Resource Center, Tech Show, which is coming up in March, Law Practice Magazine, Law Practice Today, and the free um, webinars that are put on several times a month. And of course, there's the ABA Tech Report. I know you wrote the cybersecurity one this year, John, That's a really good source for an annual checkup because it looks at, you know, what are attorneys doing in the area of cybersecurity and gives some details, you know, about threats, how attorneys are addressing them, you know, with a lot of things like that. There are state bars, there's the International Legal Technology Association's InfoSec and the ABA Cybersecurity Legal Task Force that has a, a website with information focused on small firms. There's government agencies like CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. It has sources for small business. It has a Shields Up comprehensive website. The FBI and the National Institute for Standards of Technology provide information. And finally, there are tech industry things, online news like CNET, Znet, CSO Magazine, Dark Reading. So so there's a lot out there. And it's important for firms of any size to look at at least some of these sources, you know, what are the ones
1: that we're going to look at, and someone should have responsibility for periodically revealing them. I certainly agree with you, and I know John does too, that CISA is one of the best sources, particularly it's a, a government resource, but it's written in easy to understand language, and there's no dog in the hunt, which is, you know, that's a source of information you really want to pay attention to.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you, you can even sign up for daily newsletters from CISA. You know, sometimes you'll get five or six or more a day, but they're very easy to delete if there's nothing in it that pertains to you.
0: Then you have those surveys and reports that come out every year too, right? Like the Verizon's data breach and Mandiant and all those. So I don't think there's any shortage of information for us to try to digest, is there, Dave? <laughs>
2: No, there's not. And and another one that I'm going to talk about is Microsoft's cloud security report that I'll be talking about later. Those are, are comprehensive, but I mean, it's good even for someone in a small firm to look through the executive summaries.
0: Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break.
2: Mention LegalTalk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org.
0: Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at Staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I.cc, and get five hundred dollars off with code Happy twenty four.
1: Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is: It's a good time for a cybersecurity checkup. Our guest is Attorney David G. Reese, who is of counsel in the Pittsburgh office of Clark Hill, PLC, where he practices in the firm's cybersecurity, data protection, and privacy group. He has devoted his legal career to helping organizations traverse complex environmental technology and data protection challenges. For over 25 years, he has increasingly focused on technology, cybersecurity, and privacy. Before we went off to the break,
0: we were talking about some of the resources and information places that are available for us. But are there any current statistics that you would consider to be important as part of this whole checkup process?
2: Yes, there are. And there are five that I am now regularly using when I teach CLE programs in this area. The first one is 23 to 25%. And that's the number of law firms in response to the ABA's Legal Technology Survey Report that say they have been breached at some time. And it's any kind of a breach from a minor lost laptop to a major data breach. But it's been about 23 to 25%, and that's been pretty steady the last few years. So one out of four law firms has reported a breach. The good news is that, so that's the bad news. The good news is that there's some pretty high statistics on, on what law firms and businesses can do to protect themselves. So the first one is from Verizon's data breach report, and they report that 82% of security incidents involve a human element. So if you can focus on the human element, yeah, you can really get strong protection if you can fight against that 82%. And that doesn't mean that they're all malicious attacks by individuals. They can be malicious, but more often, they're someone who's tried to do the right thing, who makes a mistake, like clicking on the link or opening the attachment or something of that nature. The next is from SysUp, and that is that 90% of successful attacks start with a phishing email. So if you want to know where to focus both technology and training and security awareness, Phishing is critical. Next is from Microsoft's cloud security report. that There are actually two informative stats for Microsoft. From the cloud security report, 90% of attacks can be stopped with basic cybersecurity hygiene. So if you employ what Microsoft defines as basic security hygiene today, it'll protect against 98% of attacks. And finally, another ninety-eight percent number, Microsoft just reported that ninety-eight percent of credential-based attacks can be stuffed by multi-factor authentication. So those are just credential-based attacks. If somebody gets a username and password or uses credential stuffing to try to guess usernames and passwords, but but you know, those are high numbers. So, you know, focusing on, on these high
1: numbers. It's a good place to make sure that,
2: that you've addressed them in your security
1: program. Well, I know we're always preaching about the importance of training, so I'll bet you'd like to talk about that too. Sure, because training is one of
2: the core ways of protecting against the 82% of incidents that involve a human element. So, I mean, the goal is to make sure that all users understand the current threats and how to protect against them. And very importantly, that they have constant security awareness every time that they're using technology. You know, the the biggest enemies to to me of of security are people who are untrained, distracted, rushed, multitasking. That's when people make mistakes. So it's a critical focus. And I've seen report after report. That suggests it's really important to have reminders. And if you have formal training, you know, yearly or quarterly or semi-annually, it's important to have short reminders in between. You made reference to Microsoft's, you know,
0: basic security hygiene. Can you go into a little more detail about that and what does Microsoft consider that to be?
2: Yes. Now, it considers some things that are emerging and for a lot of particularly smaller firms are, are new. But it, it, the formal name of it is the 2022 Digital Defense Report. It has several items that it considers to be the basic security hygiene. And, and again, Microsoft found that it will protect against 98% of attacks. So the first one is enabling multi-factor authentication. And I think most people understand that by today. Second is to apply zero-trust principles. And zero trust is an emerging approach to authentication and access control, and I'll be talking about that later. Next is to use extended detection and response. Again, that's an emerging security approach, and it's basically using advanced security software. But even though the zero trust and the extended detection and response are somewhat emerging, Microsoft now considers them to be basic defenses. Next is to keep everything up to date. That includes the operating system, firmware, browser, and all applications. And its final one is is protect the data. And and that's kind of broad, but it's knowing where your data is located and to make sure that it's appropriately protected wherever it is. So those are, you know, what Microsoft considers to be basic security hygiene. You know, again, uh, protecting against 98% of attacks.
1: I know that whenever we talk to audiences and we talk about extended detection and response, I mean, you kind of get a deer-in-headlights look. <laughs> People don't really understand what it is and why it's so important. So could you explain that to them? Sure. And and basically, all it is is advanced security
2: software. So, you know, years ago, we started with antivirus on individual desktops and laptops, and that evolved over the years to stronger protection but on the individual endpoints. But it added protection against rootkits and sometimes against unknown programs running and things. So what the the extended detection and response does is it has highly advanced detection and on each endpoint that automatically blocks an attack, but it also provides information for reporting and, and monitoring. So it both provides the advanced protection on each laptop, desktop, or, or, or other item, but also gathers the information so whoever's running this security, you know, that, that can be someone in-house. For a, a small firm, it can be their security service provider. I know it's one of the services that, that you know, your company provides, and, and that is that you will actually do the monitoring on an ongoing basis so that, you know, you don't come in the next morning and find that you've had all kind of problems overnight. So, I mean, that that's basically, you know, what the uh, XDR is. It's becoming more common. It's really been pushed for several years for federal agencies, mid-size and large size firms and companies are moving into it. And there are now options becoming available for small firms. Dave, I would also add to that. And not what I'm seeing, and I'm
0: sure you're seeing it as well, is we're seeing questions about you know EDR, XDR solutions, MDR solutions on cybersecurity insurance, you know, forms
2: as, as well. So the insurance carriers are interested too. That's one of the things that carriers are looking for. They're becoming more sophisticated in their underwriting because of the large losses from ransomware. So that they are looking for specific technologies, and that's one of them. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break.
0: Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software?
1: Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is, it's a good time for a cybersecurity checkup. Our guest is attorney David G. Reese, who is of counsel in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania office of Clark Hill, PLC, where he practices in the firm's cybersecurity, data protection, and privacy group. So Dave, why don't we talk a little bit more about uh, zero trust architecture and why it's so important to law firms going forward? Again, it's not a particular product, you know, like the
2: extended detection and response can be. It's actually an approach or, or an architecture for security. There's no uniform definition, but it, it, it's you know, beginning to gain meaning as federal agencies have been pushed uh, to use it. But it, it basically involves four areas. Number one is strong authentication for a user to identify himself or herself. Second, segmentation of sensitive data. So, you know, in the system, sensitive data is classified and stored separately from others. Next, it applies the principle of of least privilege. So that, you know, a user has identified himself or herself. The sensitive data has been put in a particular part of, of the system or network. And then the user can only get access to it if it's something that he or she needs. So you can take something like if you have a law firm that, that does tax work or estate planning, you segregate data that have bank accounts and social security numbers and things. And when a user logs in, they can only get access to it if it is something that they need for their business. So, you know, the the receptionist can't get social security numbers and things. And, and those are concepts that have been used in the past, but they're drawn in with with a fourth area, which is what makes it zero trust, and that's a continuing verification of the users and the devices as they move throughout the network, so that you don't just log in once and you can get access to everything within the network. You log in as it, and as you move within the network, the network tests or requires to make sure on a continuing or periodic basis that you are a user and device that has access to that information. Now, it would be very cumbersome if a user had to log on every time they moved around in a network or frequently had to do it again. But there are automated tools to do the continuing verification. And, you know, that's why zero trust is so effective because it it is continually verifying that the user and device involved have legitimate access to what they are accessing in the system.
0: For our last question here, do you have a a suggestion for some cybersecurity New Year's resolutions?
2: Yes, I I, I have several. You know, first is at least once a year and more frequently for larger firms, update your cybersecurity program, including your instant response plan, and certainly if you don't have them, even for a solo or small farm, develop and implement one. Second, commit to do periodic reviews. Looking at the four things that I've mentioned should be in, in an annual review, set a schedule and make sure you follow it. And finally, review and update your training program. Make sure that it is focusing on everything that, that needs to be done. Also, promoting constant cybersecurity awareness. And I think that that takes some kind of reminders. And, you know, one of the approaches I've seen is once a month or so, you have something, it might just be five minutes. It might just be a page to read that goes out beyond periodic, more formal
1: training. Well, I think that this was an excellent podcast in advocating that it's a good time for a security checkup. And you've done a really good job, as always, Dave, in kind of putting it out in a, a format that people can can understand and digest it in 25 minutes or less, which is what these podcasts are. So I think they have a clear roadmap. And as always, we're delighted to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me.
0: Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And you can find out more about Sensei's Digital Forensics, Managed Technology, and Managed Cybersecurity Services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives.
0: Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.